just no time to revisit the relics of yesterday. Besides, have tried to date sexuals? Too much work. I can barely remember what I had for It's been proven that reading and retaining require muscles and less frequently enough to train contractions for something so secular. Unless you're in the primary erotica, in an expansive the digital age has auctioned our attention span off the scale. But I guess in one of her sense, we want to sound smart at parties. All right, we are back. Episode ten. We officially have more episodes than good movies of Star Wars by like a factor of like eight. Welcome to We Want to Sound Smart at Parties. My name is Bjorn. I'm joined by the omnipresent Taylor Brown and Alexander Moore today. How are wow, you guys doing? Omnipresent. We are, we are everywhere. We're you are everywhere. everywhere at once. That's what everywhere, it feels like. all at once, all the time. Jesus is inside of you and outside of you and upstairs waving at you. Hello, Lord. It's me, you. <laughs> but seriously, that is how I feel about you guys because your research is so spot on. We've been getting such great feedback from our episodes. And uh, if you want to learn more about us, you know, you can follow our little Instagram account, Smart at Parties, and then uh, look at smartatparties.com for all that sweet, sweet information. Hey, I'm going to call you out right now. I'm going to put you on the spot, Bjorn. Please. Are we actually getting good feedback or is that just something you're pitching to us to make us feel better before we jump into this episode? We are getting not only good, but we are getting excellent feedback. Everyone loves this pod for some reason. You know, when we do things artistically, I'm always nervous because you get that kind of response of like, oh, oh yeah, I listen to it. But nope, it, people are following us. They're, they're wow. listening. They're, they're, they're really enjoying it. I don't know Taylor why. Taylor Brown, do you believe that? Well, I did, did I not send you the link from Pitchfork where we got Best New Podcast? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Look at that. But they still gave us a 6.2. They haven't reviewed our, like, our whole show yet. We just got a... Like a, a episode review, which was positive. Yeah. Which was positive. Oh, good. That's positive incredible. Pitchfork podcast reviews. It's a thing. It's a thing. Look it up. It's a real thing. Back to episode 10. We want to sound smart at parties. This is the Kafka episode, and we are very oh Kafka esque right now. We How are much? Just, we're, I love talking about Kafka at parties. There's so much Kafka going on right now in the room, guys. And I. <laughs> Who's not am, talking about Kafka at parties? Everyone's talking about Kafka. Who's not talking about Kafka? What I, here's the thing. I had actually never read any Kafka before. So this was really? all new. I've never been able to use the, the term Kafka-esque before because I, I didn't know uh, mm. really what it truly meant. Uh, I think I would, I, would, I would hear it brought up every once in a while. I'd Google it. I'm like, what the fuck does it yeah, mean? Yeah, me too. What does it mean? Okay, so the, there's a definition of Kafka-esque. Please. Uh, there's a Merriam-Webster on it. And the definition of Kafka-esque is characteristic or reminiscent of the oppressive or nightmarish qualities of Kafka's fictional world. Whoa. Yeah. Well, it's, to, to be a little more specific, um, according to a, a prestigious website, study.com, uh, to be considered <laughs> truly Kafka-esque, a situation or story needs not only to be absurdly bureaucratic, but there also needs to include ironic circular reasoning in the characters or people involved. In this yes. way, the character is responsible for his or her own torturous experience. Okay, so let me get this straight. So you've got circular, unobtainable reasoning. You've got nightmarish landscapes, right? So it mm -hmm. sounds like uh, the Oval Office. Sounds like uh, the cabinet at the White <laughs> yeah, House, no? Yeah, that, 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 it is very much a fever dream in there. And <laughs> if you can get even deeper into conservative politics being its own uh, 
circular logical reasoning of dismantling uh, institutions in order to say that they don't work. It's mm. uh, and just an interwoven web of uh, nonsensical uh, bureaucratic uh, ridiculousness, which is mm. kind of yeah, I think pervasive throughout much of history. Actually, I don't For think sure. that's I don't think that's at all confined to our time. It's uh, it's very much nothing makes sense at the end. Also, of the day. to touch on that, Taylor Brown, uh, you said ironic circular reasoning i think a lot of people misconstrue kafka-esque as merely irony right or just like merely like bureaucratic red tape right yes exactly and that is that is a thing there's a lot of misuse of the 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 word kafka-esque uh people kind of get it wrong a lot that's apparently a thing yeah which is kind of like like you know alanis morissette ironic like isn't isn't it kafka-esque it's real. It's it's kind of like how everything she says is slight, not really ironic, just unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of that. It's it's a similar situation. It, you know, to be to be truly Kafka esque, I think it has to be the most monotonous, horrifying, depressingly investigative look into the annals of the most blatant and therefore frightening parts of the human experience. Yeah. Right. Let's get into some exi- some like shit. concrete examples. Has anyone seen the movie Brazil? Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Definitely Kafka-esque. Very Kafka-esque. Mm. Everything begins with an error. Uh, insect falls into the typewriter. It's a dystopian mm. society. Yeah, it's almost slapstick to a certain degree. Like one thing wrong, like a domino effect. Yeah, and it's mm. funny in that way. And this, in Metamorphosis, is is really funny when I read it, There are it definitely some very comical parts, although I was also impacted pretty pretty uh, i don't know there, there was an impact of sadness mm. i see i see the gregor character very much as a, a george costanza type <laughs> yeah. fellow and it, really me, oh it, yeah it's got it i there's so much jewish humor in this uh this story to me huh. and uh i feel like that kafka would have been great in a writer's room during the 90s for sitcoms what makes it jewish humor like just like oh I will get into that it's a lot in the delivery of the dialogue okay. and this Definitely. kind of in the first part of this book there's this despite the fact that he is a uh, a bug um, he's he's not at all concerned with that he's just really mostly concerned with how he's going to be late for work and oh wow all the ramifications of that and so Jew- so Jewish humor isn't just strictly like laka based like it's not about like small potato can pancakes that you eat at parties right I don't know what the mm, fuck you're talking about yeah I'm not sure where you're going Lakas? with that one you've never had a laka before they're delicious yeah latkes are maybe the the staple of the Judaic. Uh, a Diet. dietary base yeah so i thought like, most jokes would surround that no uh no if we want to get into some more kafka-esque type stories i could look also at other kafka stories including the story poseidon uh which is the the greek god who's in charge of the sea but he's right. he's so overwhelmed by paperwork um and <laughs> what <laughs> yeah and the, so he can't actually like get to enjoy his like nice underwater kingdom because he's up to his gills in paperwork um <laughs> and it would be fine if he if he could just delegate but he doesn't trust anyone to do as good a job so he's forever stuck in this perpetual cycle of his own doing of this bureaucratic byzantine-esque uh busy work he's he's dealing with forever and ever 
Huh. God, can you imagine being Poseidon and having to deal with that when all you want to do is just go out and rage with your trident? I'd love to come to the underwater orgy. Believe me, I'd love to be there. I'm up to my gills and paperwork. I can't go. I can't leave. I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, but Ariel's going to be there and Sebastian. Poseidon, why can't you come to the underwater orgy? Quarter three tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't going to file themselves. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Wow. That's a bummer. That's just kind of sad. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. So that's what we're speaking of when we speak of Kafkaesque. Okay. That terrifying, that's... mundane, like incessant monotony of having to just simply exist as opposed to getting to enjoy one's existence as well. Yeah. Really funny stuff. Real funny. Hilarious. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, let's get more into Kafka, actual Kafka. Wanna get to know Everything about you. Tip this quill up in that ink and uncover the truth. Why you write the things you do and to dive into your lives like some literary sleuth. Explore around the dome where all these stories come from. Maybe learn a little song. So we can understand who wrote this book we're going to talk about with you. All right, well, Kafka, he was born July 3rd, 1883 in Prague uh, into a prosperous Jewish middle-class family, as we touched on, um, he strongly identified with his his mom's side because of their spirituality, their intellectual distinction, um, and delicate physical and mental constitution, but he wasn't really close to his mother, and he wasn't really close to his dad either. In fact, it's, it's safe to say that he had a lot of really deep-rooted daddy issues, and that plays out yeah. in a lot of his work. Oh, dear Lord, yeah. Uh, yeah, including his attempt at autobiography, which was appropriately called Letter to Father, uh, where he attributes much of his failure and his escape into literature to the prohibitive, domineering father figure in his life. That was actually considered one of Kafka's most important writings, too, this 100-page letter that you're talking about, Taylor. And that was written in November 1919, which has been published in numerous volumes of collected works. And it starts out kind of, I mean, kind of sad, but I mean, this is enough that you'd need to know to get the gist. Dearest Father, you once asked me why I maintain that I am afraid of you. As usual, I did not know how to answer you, partly because of this very fear I have of you, and partly because the explanation of this fear involves so many details that, when I am talking, I can't keep half of them together. So that gives you a little bit of a glimpse into Kafka's father's father complex, which has been highly attributed as a popular interpretation of the metamorphoses which we're speaking about today. Yeah, and um, as an assimilated Jew, um, his dad wasn't very religious, and he didn't really hold on to a lot of religious formalities and social practices of the Jewish community. So Kafka was German in both language and culture, um, and he wasn't he wasn't so he you know he's like your typical secular Jew that exists in uh, 20th and 21st century uh, times where, you know, yeah, like, like me, for like, I, I'm just Jewish uh, hereditarily, but I have, you know, I don't do... Uh, you don't do stuff. Jewish things. I don't, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't do, I don't do the holidays. But that's my dad's, like, he, he, like it was up to him, and he's like, eh, I'm just gonna not, I'm gonna let you guys do Christmas on the, that side of the family. <laughs> Which, frankly, I think they just took, like, it's like the fun, the more fun holidays. Yeah, I guess Christmas has become a quote-unquote more fun holiday just because it's been so commercialized. Yeah, and, uh, that, and I'll tell you, as a kid in the 90s, it really plays. 
Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, imagine. if your dad's going to let you watch Jingle all the way, you might as well. You I know mean, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he 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 was the biggest Santa fraud of them all. I mean, he played into the... It's like a racket for kids there. It's like, the, what, what, what... I'm just... They're telling me this about the Santa guy. I thought he existed. And that was a lie. I'm not bitter about it. I didn't find out when I was 18. We should write a Kafka-esque Santa story. How would it go? No, it's already, it, it's already written. Santa got ran over by a reindeer coming home from my house Christmas Eve. <laughs> People say there's no such thing as uh, Santa, but as for me and Grandma, we believe. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe no? maybe he should have he found God because... Um, as a kid, he declared himself a socialist as well as an atheist. So he was, Dude, you know, we he's give just a- like you, Brown. Yeah, <laughs> this is. Are you? You're very Kafka X, Taylor Brown. Thank you. I am nightmarish. Thank you. As as Taylor was talking about his upbringing, um, because he was not really accepted in the Jewish community and the minority in a very divisive time between uh, the Jewish populace and the German speaking majority. Uh, this added and impacted his added to and impacted his writing, and yeah. he found it. It's like near a double whammy of isolation, basically for sure. And it it brought on bitterness and distrust and insecurity and hatred, and it slowly made its way into his protagonists, of whom frequently were outcasts and had lofty questions of personal existence, such as where do I belong and where does man belong, which is a, a, a lot of his writing. Uh, a totem in a lot of his writing. Yeah. Like as a Jew, he was isolated from the German community in Prague, but as a modern intellectual, he's also alienated from his Jewish heritage, uh, especially with the whole atheist thing. That's going to, it's going to cut you off in some circles. Um, And you know, this, he, he, he did feel this anxiety and isolation of modern man. And that's where, you know, we, we get a lot of this, uh, this critical thought from is really birthed from Kafka, but it's not like he wasn't a friendly guy. He was actually known to be pretty charming and intelligent yeah. and humorous. Uh, and, and boyishly handsome. Very funny, I think, actually. Yeah, uh, super funny. <laughs> but he found his uh, routine office job at an insurance company and the exhausting double life as a writer to be you know, torturous and exhausting. And his deeper personal relationships were neurotically disturbed, which had a ripple effect into his love life as these things tend to do. So shit just never seemed to work out romantically for him. He had multiple called off engagements. He lived in poor health due to this strenuous double life of, you know, grinding during the day and then writing at night. Um, And he was diagnosed with tuberculosis in 1917. And in 1923, he went to Berlin to devote himself to writing. And during a vacation on the Baltic coast later that year, he met... Dora Diamond, a young Jewish socialist, and they lived in Berlin until Kafka's health significantly worsened during the spring of 1924. Which I is mean, only like a year later. Right? Yeah, all, exactly. All this happening in the 18 and 1900s with these authors is they just take naps and get sick. Well, yeah, and then he died doing. of tuberculosis um, that year in 1924. Well, he actually died of starvation. What? Um, because his laryngeal tuber- tuberculosis made eating too painful for him, contributing to malnourishment and ultimately his demise as his esophagus was closing up. Look, don't COVID isn't the cause of the death me with this bullshit. (laughs) It was tuberculosis, all right? He had a pre-existing condition. It was the TB. He was not covered with his pre-existing condition. No, and I'm I'm sure he was having fights with his insurance company up until the day he died. This is ridiculous. You're not gonna cover this? 
Unbelievable. I mean, what? My throat's closing up over here. Dora, look at this bill. How do they expect me to cover this? I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to work in an insurance office and write, and I've got laryngeal cancer, and you can't cover this? You can't cover this? So <laughs> as a result, a lot of his works didn't actually materialize until after his death. Um, in fact, his own insecurities with some of his writings caused him to request that all his unpublished manuscripts be destroyed. But his writer friend, Max Broad, acting as his literary executor, disregarded his instructions and published the novels anyway. So that gave us books like The Trial, The Castle, and America in 25, 26, and 27, respectively, talking about years, um, and some other shorter pieces and it's from these works, especially uh, where, you know, we get the brunt of, you know, Kafka's uh, works and, you know, a lot of what he accomplished came after he died. Yeah. A lot of it was posthumous. What's and his most famous work then? What's like the metamorphosis? I the believe, one that, that we're reading is the most yeah. famous one. Oh, sweet. Yes. Oh, nailed it. Yeah. Swish. Um, and also <laughs> Max Broad had to rearrange uh, some of his writings to release it posthumously after he died but uh, interesting note on that Kafka finished none of his full-length novels the metamorphosis actually being a novelette uh, as it's around 16,000 words the book we're discussing today not a novella novelette a novelette yes because a novella as we learned from our first episode when you guys made fun of me for bringing the facts to the table a novella <laughs> is 17,000 oh here we go numbers guy over here to 40,000 words and a novelette is anywhere between 5,000 words uh, to 17,500. I can't so wait to in... bring that fact up at the next party I'm at. Oh, me neither. <laughs> so he, he finished none of his full-length novels, and he purportedly burned around 90% of his work. What? Kafka did. Yes. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Super brutal. So there's a bunch of Kafka we'll never read, um, which Are, might you be mean the there's, best. Because... You mean there's more Kafka I won't ever read? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Yes. For you, Bjorn. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, okay, Taylor, take us back, baby. Taking us back. Do, 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 do. To the other pretext. Taking us back. I mean, he's dead. What else is there to say? Yeah. I mean, he's dead. Um, <laughs> but he got famous. Yeah, he got famous after. Um, you want me to get more into the specifics of that? We could. Nah, I feel like we, I feel like we got a pretty fair amount of Kafka. Yeah, I think we're we're kind of kind of third. Yeah, it's like I said, he's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. He worked himself to death. Hates his dad. His hates dad his hates dad's. him. Yeah. He worked himself to dead. He moonlighted as a writer. Yeah, you know, all pretty straightforward. Yeah, this plays into the whole writer trope. Yeah, bad relationships. Terrible relationships. Uh, died almost immediately after devoting his entire life to writing. <laughs> oh. He died a year later. Super. He's writer. like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Let's take the I'm leap. The and leap. I'm, yeah. I died. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. Oh, uh, this is sad. This is really. This is so. Kafka-esque. This is Kafka esque. He's this is super Kafka esque. I love it. Love it. Okay, is it time oh, to is get time into to... the metamorphosis? Let's do it. Is it time for the text? Is it time for the text? Uh, hey guys, I think it might be. Let's get into the text. So what I like about this guy is he doesn't fuck around with a bunch of expositional fluff. He, no. gets, he gets right to it. So it begins, quote, 
One morning, when Gregor Samsa woke from troubled dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a horrible vermin. He lay on his armor-like back, and if he lifted his head a little, he could see his brown belly, slightly domed and divided by arches into stiff sections. The bedding was hardly able to cover it, and it seemed ready to slide off at any moment. His, his many legs, pitifully thin compared with the size of the rest of him, waved about helplessly as he looked. So he's waking up, and he's, uh, he's, a, he's an insect. He's a bug. He's a bug. Damn. It's a bug's life. Yes. It's a bug's life and now. Our main pro- he's our main protagonist throughout the whole story. Again, his name is Gregor Samsa, as Taylor just said. He's a detail-oriented introvert with something of a hobby for sawing frames, and also he's an ex-lieutenant in the army. Um, and also, as we talked about earlier, he's just fucking terribly overworked. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he's an introvert because imagine if you were on oh I don't know like a very terse first date or maybe a dalliance one evening a one night stand and you woke up as a fucking bug like explaining that like can you imagine the partner waking up next to you it's like she's like oh sure i was drunk but like i didn't know i was fucking a bug last night Well, this is actually an allegory for casual sex oh is it okay so i'm so glad you brought that up i am so like i feel hold on we gotta stop for a second because i'm like minority report I'm like one of those like <laughs> you're pre-cogging, baby. I'm pre-cogging, baby. I'm like in the water with all that like weird stuff, and I got like a twin, and I'm just like I'm just sensing things, guys. Because every time we do one of these episodes, I just know things. But pre-cogging, anyways. Bjorn's pre-cogging. Pre-cogging, again. Bjorn. There he goes, pre-cogging again. Pre-cogging. God damn it. Started a podcast about books, even though he can't read. I want a postcog. Okay, cog me. Cog me right now. So right. What, it's about casual sex? Cog how is it me, about baby. casual sex? Yeah, how is it about casual How is it about casual how's sex? How is it about Al? casual sex, Al? Okay, so you wake up with so much shame mm-hmm. and you don't know where to put all this shame that mm-hmm. you actually instantaneously turn into a bug so you have an excuse to leave. As opposed mm-hmm. to like, hey, last night was really fun. Uh, I'll call you in a couple of days. It's like, oh, fuck, I'm a beetle. Right. I got to go. I don't know what's happening right now. Babe, that was really hot. Thank you so much. The sex was so good. You turned me into a fucking insect. But now I have to figure out what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And uh, I'll call you. I'll call you in a couple weeks. Okay. So that's how it's an allegory for casual sex. That yeah, I sense. would turn into a wolf typically and like gnaw my own arm off and get away. A werewolf. Know? Yeah, werewolf. <laughs> Was that a coyote ugly reference? Did you just make a coyote ugly reference? I have no idea I, what you're talking about. I made an animal reference, like one that would chew their own arm off to get away from the situation. Do wolves do that? Okay. Well, you're a movie mm-hmm. guy. And in Coyote Ugly, they make a reference why they named the bar Coyote Ugly was because sometimes you wake up next to someone so ugly that you have to be a coyote and gnaw your own limb off. Wow, you are cogging right now. Cogging! Pre-cogging. Cogging. In fairness to my cogging is at some point I've had, in my drug-addled past, had to come across Coyote Ugly. I must have seen that film. (laughs) I must have. There's no okay, way I didn't. So we've gotten we've gotten one paragraph into the book. 
Um, and it's taken us about four times as long as the actual passage to talk about it. Actually, I think I'm shortchanging it a little bit, probably about eight times. So Gregor is in quite the pickle, right? He's a giant insect now. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why. There never is. It's very Kafka-esque. Um, and despite this spontaneous absurdity that has occurred to his body, he concludes that this is real life. He's not dreaming. Uh, his room is exactly as he left it. Um, and he's just a bug now, and that's just kind of that's just kind of his life now. But he doesn't really confront that fact at all throughout the, yeah. the first chapter. No, he goes immediately into talking about work. Yeah. He? So. What? Yeah he 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 notices he's looking out on his room. He sees these um, these textiles spread out on a table. These samples. He's a, he's a traveling salesman. He's the youngest member of his family, but he's also the breadwinner, as we'll get into later. But he basically supports his mom and dad and his sister on his traveling salesman wages. Um, He looks out the window and uh, outside it's dark and overcast and raining. And Gregor decides that, you know what? Maybe I just need to catch some more Z's and sleep this whole bug thing off. I think that is just get a little more sleep. I'll be good. But the, but the problem, like, like me actually like sleeping on his right side, you Mm. know, that's not, but he can't really get in that position because, like, okay, so he's a bug, right? So imagine. What? You mean he's he's turned to a bug and he's talking about which side he can sleep? Yeah, on? well, he need, he's if he wants to sleep it off, he needs to get on his right side. He's, he's actually a- talking about all things that are not concerned with bugdom. Like he's again, he's obsessed about work. He's late for work. He's fucking he's wigging so out. Late. He's wigging and he's a bug. So he's like, well, I'll get some sleep. Okay, I need to get on my right side, but I can't because I'm a bug. Uh, like imagine a flat football trying to you know get on its side wheel itself it's, yeah over. it's it's yeah. he's bug shaped it's like physically impossible <laughs> don't bug shame him don't bug shame him dude <laughs> yeah, it's a bug so he can't really get off his back his little legs are up <laughs> up in the air and he keeps closing his eyes because he's actually getting like tired of looking at his stupid tiny little legs um so in the middle of all of this like trying to go back to sleep he gets real frustrated and he starts complaining about his job and he says Oh, God, God, what what a strenuous career it is that I've chosen. Traveling day in and day out, doing business like this takes much more effort than doing your own business at home. And on top of that, there's the curse of traveling, worries about making train connections, bad and irregular food, contact with different people all the time so that you can never get to know anyone or become friendly with them. It can all go to hell. And so he's he's mostly concerned with, like, just his day-to-day. In general, I'm really loving this Seinfeld Brooklyn interpretation of of the character. To me, I can't read it in any other kind of way. Okay, this is good. You should continue to do it for this whole episode, this whole book, please. So he gets a little itch on his belly, um, and that's a whole ordeal since he doesn't really know how to control his all his tiny little legs. Um, and when he tries to scratch it, it's like it really weirds him out, so he stops doing. It. Um, and then and then he thinks to himself, "Quote." Getting up early all the time, it makes you stupid. You've got to get enough sleep. And then he starts complaining about other traveling salesmen who are like higher up the food chain and they're living a life of luxury on the road, just like chowing down and like, you know, taking it easy and still making all the money. And then he starts complaining about his boss who sucks, obviously. Totally. Yeah. And how one day, quote, once I've got the money together to pay off my parents' debt to him, another five or six years, I suppose, that's definitely what I'll do. That's when I'll make the big change. First of all, though, I've got to get up. My train leaves at five. So he's still mostly <laughs> concerned with getting to work on time, even though he's a bug. He's just avoiding, he's just con- not confronting the problem. 
the primary problem. And Taylor, you you touched on a really important point there in the in that Brooklyn in that Jewish Brooklyn bugdom and that that bug monologue. <laughs> he is working for his shitty boss uh, to pay off a debt that his parents had accrued. Yeah, yeah. So he's only providing he's he's making bread for the family, but at the same time. He's actually just trying to pay off the debt. Also, yeah. what is the point of being a traveling salesman if you have to be somewhere on time? Like, that's the point of being a traveling salesman is you can just kind of... I guess when he's not traveling, he has to go into the office. He's got a oh, report. Yeah. Oh, okay. Why don't you just at least buy yourself a day and be like, oh, yo, I switched around some of my sales calls. I'm going to be actually on the road today, boss. So I Well, Taylor, you see, that's the point. That's the whole absurdity ah, of the issue, right? Got it. Plus, they didn't have email, I suppose. They didn't have Franz email. Kafka is an absurdist and considered one of the more prominent absurdists in the literary canon. Oh, he's absurd, all right. Time. Oh, he's yes. absurd. This is all absurd. So, okay. So, I'll, <laughs> I'll stop applying logic. Got it. Yeah, yeah, it's Done. dream logic. Uh, oh, okay. So, he then sees that it's way later, later than he thought. It's already half past six. He's not catching that five train. That's long gone. No, no way. Yeah, and it's done. And the, the problem is, is he can't, well, like, why does he just call in sick, right? But he can't, he, he doesn't think he could do that because he's never done it before. So if he mm. did it now, it would look suspicious. Mm. And he also, I mean, he doesn't even feel sick. He feels fine, actually. He's just a bug. Yeah. He's a little hungry, but. Um, so he missed, he missed his 5 a.m. train. He won't be able to catch the later one at 7. And as Taylor was saying, he kind of begins to argue with himself over the options of rushing in to meet the office's anger, or suspiciously calling sick, uh, which he's never done. Um, and then he hears a knock at the door, I believe. Yeah, he hears his mother calling his name. She's, she's like, shouldn't you be up already? And then Gregor responds back in his, in his crazy new bug voice. Yes, mother, yes, thank you. I'm getting up now. <laughs> That's a really good bug that voice. That was a good bug voice. Actually. Even without effects. I, I got a it's Men in Black influence. No effects. And please put oh. some, do some cool effects with that. In I, got I, don't know. I don't know if it needs Postman. effects, Taylor. That was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That was really good. I, I channeled, you know, that in when the he's in his human suit as a bug? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sugar channel. in water. <laughs> that, Edgar, your skin's hanging off your bones. Yeah. Well, yeah. We all remember that. Scene. Yeah. Hell that was yeah. good. And so somehow, or maybe she just, like didn't, you know, doesn't want to think about it. The mother doesn't notice the change in his voice, and she just shuffles off on the other side of the door. But soon thereafter, the whole family is coming to his door, which is locked because he gets accustomed to locking his door, being a traveling salesman, uh, living a life on the road. Until finally, Gregor very carefully responds, "I'm ready now." like making an effort to remove all the strangeness from his voice by enunciating very carefully and putting long pauses between each individual word. So he's trying to act, he's trying to, he's trying to act as human as possible and sound as human as possible, which is, he uh, describes, yeah. And he describes his voice as, uh, just inherently squeaky with an echo, uh, as well attributed hmm. to it. So he's got this weird, like high pitched bug voice. I've got this little bug which you know, I, I guess we hear it in the bug kingdom in nature if we were to go outside and listen to the soft sounds of Mother Earth breathing with all of her inhabitants. But um just picture a really squeaky voice yeah. coming out of him. Um and let's not forget Gregor is still in bed. He's on his back, his tiny little legs are waving in front of him. 
Uh, he doesn't quite realize it yet, but he's got some bigger fish to fry than just getting to work on time. Also, he's in denial, right? I mean, he says... Oh, clearly. <laughs> he, did, he, did not, he did not have the slightest doubt that the change in, in his voice was nothing more than the first sign of a serious cold, which was an occupational hazard for a traveling salesman. So, like, he's, he's looking at his bug body, and he's like, oh, I got a fucking cold. That's obviously what's going on. It's this on. weird purgatory between acceptance and denial. It's like almost like he's in this weird shock. That's some COVID denying right there, dude. I'm not sick. Don't worry. That's like some emperor style COVID denial, right? Or there. like when you get zo- bit by the zombie and like it's just a little oh, one on the wrist, right. but yeah, you yeah, get yeah. on with you get in the bus with the, all the other survivors. I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I just fine. have this little scratch. It won't be a problem. Yeah. And then the, the camera scratch. like carefully pans over to him, like like pulling a sleeve over the yeah 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> so actually my favorite part of this whole uh this whole section of the book is that kafka gets really into the nitty-gritty about what this whole ordeal is like when you have several new tiny little bug legs like the the legs are the almost the funniest part of the book because he keeps oh. returning to them about like <laughs> how hard it is to use them um he says quote he would have used his arms and his hands to push himself up but instead of them he only had all those little legs continuously moving in different directions and which he was moreover unable to control if he wanted to bend one of them then that was the first one that would stretch itself out and if he finally managed to do what he wanted with that leg all the others seemed to be set free and would move about painfully this is something that can't be done in bed gregor said to himself so don't keep trying to do it (laughs) (laughs) so he's got all these tiny cute little baby autonomous legs that are just like scurrying about and he's on his back and he's Jewish and he lives in Brooklyn and he's (laughs) fucking super upset about not being able to make it to work. And Taylor continues with the text. Uh, So he tries to slide off the bed like butt first, but he does like, he accidentally hits the bedpost and it hurts his, the Mm. bottom part of his body a lot, which is like his thorax. thorax. That's the bottom part. So back to square one. So what finally motivates him to finally like get over that hump of getting out of bed physically is the thought that soon uh, someone from work would be coming to check up on him for being late to work at fucking 7 a.m. Could you imagine someone showing up to your house if it was 7 a.m. and you were late for work at 7 a.m. and there was already someone from work at your house wondering why you weren't at work? Yeah, it's, it's called the camera truck driver, Taylor Brown. That's what that's <laughs> called, dude, because I've been on set before and the camera truck driver, if he's late and it's 7 and it's call time, I've sent someone to his house. Believe you me. Oh my god. You're 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 the you're the you're the bad guy in this book. I am the bad guy. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I'm a producer in LA. What could make you more evil than what I you're do? You're such an antagonist, dude. Yeah. You're such an antagonist. Well, also Gregor Samson's office opens at seven. So the fact mm. that uh someone's coming over like one minute after doors. Yeah. That's, that's he mentions scary. well they open it up a little before seven. <laughs> <laughs> but like they would have to take a train back to his house yeah right it's because he didn't catch the early train because i guess usually he's i guess he's usually early to his work at an office as a traveling salesman which seems like overkill he's really also absurd. he's really killing him just absolutely absurd and he's just killing himself <laughs> for this job which he literally did in real life <laughs> man he's a nervous guy that just sounds like a Super nervous, nervous guy. guy 
He's very nervous. He does not want to be late for work. It's his worst nightmare. Is he like, is he a, is there a crossover character where he becomes the rabbit from like Alice in Wonderland where he's just like, he's like a bug. I'm late. I'm late late for a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. Yeah. Yeah. It it sounds a little Gregor Samsey. Okay. Right. And so here's how he gets, here's how he gets out of bed and he just, and Kafka describes it thusly. Uh, And so he set himself to the task of swinging the entire length of his body out of the bed all at the same time. If he succeeded in falling out of bed in this way and kept his head raised as he did so he could probably avoid injuring it. His back seemed to be quite hard and probably nothing would happen to it falling out of the carpet. His main concern was for the loud noise he was bound to make and which even through all the doors would probably raise concern if not alarm. But it was something that had to be risked. So his... <laughs> again... <laughs> Through it all, his main concern is just like, I don't want to be too loud. So he gets all, half his body off the bed and you realize he can kind of like rock himself off the bed from there if he just kind of keeps going to and fro. And if he falls on his back, he figures eventually his parents can just flip him over. And then he'd finally find some use for his tiny little legs. Uh, and he says, in quote, despite all the difficulty he was in, he could not suppress a smile at this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so cute. Gregory, I like this guy. Yeah, I like him too. Gregor's I like him more as a bug. I mean, we don't know him as a human, but I definitely like him as a bug. He's like, well, gotta admit, that's kind of funny. <laughs> so while he's halfway off the bed, as Taylor's describing this, he's finding this way to kind of force himself free of this imprison, uh, imprisonment that he has. And it's 10 after 7. It's no! 10 past 7. So, And that's when the chief clerk of his office arrives to investigate his absence from work as a show of force, aggravating Samson to the point of wiggling himself to the floor with a loud thump, uh, which is what Taylor was talking about, exactly as the chief clerk enters the room adjoining him. So let me get this straight. The the office of the traveling salesman, which is odd enough as it is, has a whole bunch of people working there, and the minute that one of their sales staff, one of their sales force hasn't arrived, they just send everybody to their house. That seems super efficient, like workplace. Like, I mean, that's insane. Like the head guy, like I would never leave. It's absurdly fast. Yeah. And would your boss leave work just because you didn't show up? Like that doesn't seem like a very efficient use of their time. No. (laughs) I mean, it was the early 20th century. I mean, I guess it's what bosses did. They just. The nonsensical, uh, the nonsensical aspects are on purpose. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep pointing them out. That's my job. Yeah. They, well, no, please do so. That's your job. Uh, <laughs> so the chief, the chief clerk, he hears this thump. Uh, so they all come rushing to Gregor's door. And Gregor's father tells him, he's like, hey, the, ch- the chief clerk wants to know why you didn't leave on the early train. And uh, the, if we don't know what to tell him. And he wants to speak to you personally. So being late is, is very fucking serious business here, guys. Don't. Don't be late for work. So then the chief clerk and Gregor's parents start going back and forth about how Gregor must not be feeling well. And that's the only reason he could have possibly missed the train. And finally, they ask Gregor if the chief clerk can come in. And Gregor carefully responds, no, which results in silence (laughs) on one end. And then he hears some sobs from his sister in the uh, adjoining wall to his bedroom. It's the first time we, we are introduced to the sister character. We haven't met her yet. Um... And then the chief clerk breaks the silence and tells Gregor how much he is distressing everyone at work 
and admonish and and in his house and admonishes him for not really being the best communicator right now and that there's word going around the office now that they suspect he's ducking out because of Ooh. some money the company entrusted him with like some petty Damn. cash he's got and and how is fuck his office by the way jesus christ all in like 15 minutes there's already rumors about me yeah and how his productivity at work has been piss poor and yep. and none of this seems to actually be true all all things considered based on what we know and how gregor will eventually respond to him um because it's later revealed that gregor has shot up the ranks at work and he supports his entire family on a salary so gregor's reputation has already taken quite the hit uh just from being late to work by a few minutes one time 10 minutes 10 minutes one time and the dude's a fucking bug it's not even 7 30 in the morning yet not even 7 30 like And he's a traveling salesman. He's working his ass off. Give him a break. I'm no wonder he's so worried about being late. If this is the repercussions of being yeah, ten minutes late, I'd be ridiculous. fucking stressed out too. Yeah, the chief clerk's a real boner because he he keeps talking about his like current lack of job security because of all of this too. And then Gregor obviously goes into a fit of anxiety because he's working off this debt that his parents owe this boss that he's subjugated to work for. It's a real mess, dude. I mean, I'd, honestly, if I were him, I would have been stoked to find out I was a bug when I woke up. I'm like, oh, well, this completely absolves me of all human responsibility. Now I can just go about my life being a bug. Yeah, so... Gregor, he actually responds with a whole spiel about how none of what the chief clerk just said is true. And mind you, he's doing this all in his crazy bug voice. And it's like a whole thing about how he was feeling a little a little under the weather earlier and a little dizzy. But now he's feeling pretty fresh. Um, mind you, he's still an actual bug, just on his back, you know, legs a flailing. Uh and he'll be in the office real soon, and that he'll be ready to go for the 8 a.m. train, and that if the chief clerk sees the boss at work, tell him to recommend me. He's still he's still playing the game of, yeah. of you know, trying to be a good employee, uh, which nothing is more important than being a good employee. I think we can all attest to that. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so again, he's he's becoming probably more and more bug-like in his speech as all this is going on. And so the chief clerk on the other side, after a little bit of silence, asks, basically, did anyone understand a fucking word of that? And <laughs> Gregor's mom loses it because he, she's like, man, he must really be sick. Uh, but the chief clerk is kind of like, uh, that was that was the voice of an animal. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's something else going on here. And then the the father tells the two housemates to go get a locksmith because they gotta they gotta get in there and see what's going on with this guy. So while this is all going on, Gregor has found a way to stand himself upright on his chest of drawers. He slides down a few times, but he eventually he is able to stick there because he's got an adhesive stuff on, on the tips of his legs. And so he kind of swings himself backwards and lets himself fall back on a chair, and then he holds on tight to the edges with his tiny little legs. And then he pushes himself closer to the door while seated in the chair as a giant bug. And then he holds himself upright against the door, again, using his sticky little paws to stay in place. And then he... (laughs) So cute. And he decides to basically turn the key in the lock of his door with his mouth. But he has no teeth because he's a bug. So it hurts a lot. And this brown goo, like, starts to drip out of his mouth. Yeah, it says brown fluid came from his mouth, flowed over the key, and dripped onto the floor. Yeah, it's disgusting. So, and, yeah, pretty gross. And, but eventually, in, in a great deal of pain, um, he managed to twist the key fully with his gross, juicy bug mouth, and he hears the lock click and says, quote, So I didn't lead the locksmith after all. 
Then he lays his head on the handle of the door to open it completely. But they can't quite see Gregor yet because it's like a double door situation. So he's still kind of on the other side of the door. Um, So he kind of like turns his little body around on one of the sides and like pokes his head out. And the chief clerk goes, oh, and then they... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which is a totally appropriate response yeah, like, oh, see a human that? being transformed into an insect is that bug head and so hold on hold on the book says and the oh it says oh like oh 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 exclamation point oh oh and then as Greg hold on and- wait a second i can't get beyond this he he is a human is turned to a bug and he just goes oh at first well i think it's more of like a oh like because yeah. it, it it describes then the chief clerk retreating with his hand covering his open horrified mouth. Yeah, is it is it like oh or is it like huh or oh <laughs> or is it like or maybe it's like oh, oh, or, oh that's it you fucker you turned into a bug that's why you weren't on the early train now I gotta go tell my boss we got a fucking bug working for us now it all makes sense you're a bug oh. Last week, Cynthia turned into a butterfly. The week before, Tom turned into a meerkat. Oh, my God. You guys are terrible. Here we go. Here we go. Or is it like a sarcastic, like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you think you're a bug now? (laughs) Think you're a bug now. (laughs) Um, So they go in for a closer look. Uh, The text says, Gregor's mother, her hair still disheveled from bed despite the chief clerk's being there, looked at his father. Then she unfolded her arms, took two steps toward Gregor, and sank down onto the floor into her skirts that spread themselves out around her as her head disappeared down into her breast. His father looked hostile and clenched his fists as if wanting to knock Gregor back into his room. Then he looked uncertainly around the living room, covered his eyes with his hands, and wept so that his powerful chest shook. So they're not taking it too well. Um, (laughs) But despite this reaction, it still hasn't really dawned on Gregor that being late for work is no longer the primary concern. And he's like... Why am I the only calm one here? And then, <laughs> and then he starts, I mean, doesn't he go into this whole thing where it's like, I, 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 if I get ready now, I'll be able to make it to the office as soon as possible. Please don't hate me. I know I'm a bug, but I can still be a traveling salesman. Oh, by the way, what's he selling? He Textiles. Uh, yeah, t- they give you, they, oh, they okay. only say textiles, textiles at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Just because I feel like like it would play into like him being a bug. For instance, if he's selling something, you like know, a fly swatter. Yeah, then it's like it's kind of playing into it. I dress like a bug today, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So as I was saying, he's going into this very Costanzian uh, diatribe about how he likes to do his job, even though right. it's pretty hard being a traveling salesman. Sure, and that it's you know, give him a break. It's quite possible for someone to be temporarily unable to work. Like just give him a second, this one day, and yeah. how this whole experience, you know, this morning will motivate him to work even harder. And sure. that not yeah, not to hold this whole thing against him or to take sides at the office. Um, yeah. He says, quote, I know nobody likes the travelers. They think we earn an enormous wage as well as having a soft time of it. That's just prejudice, but they have no particular reason to think better of it. But you, sir, you have a better overview than the rest of the staff. In fact, if I can say this in confidence, a better overview than the boss himself. So he's <gasps> he's kissing ass. He's really trying to gussy him up. Yeah. He's really buttering up, bettering him up for mm-hmm. yeah, everything's going to be fine. He's going to actually be better at work. But during this whole right. spiel, the chief clerk is 
back in the fuck out of the room because all he can hear is this fucked up bug voice going into, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, going, more, more sugar. More sugar. Sugar and water. water. <laughs> and so he bolts the fuck out of there. Oh, yeah, but he does. Gregor isn't giving up without a fight because his right. job's really important to him. I would say... <laughs> super important he's got to get his parents out of debt yeah yeah uh-huh. so he decides that quote the chief clerk had to be held back calmed down and convinced and finally went over the future of gregor and his family depended on it uh so gregor is actually delighted now to find that his little legs actually work pretty well when they're beneath him um okay. and he says quote the little legs i love how he calls them the little legs the little, the legs. little babies the little, little, little baby tiny legs. little babies little cute little baby sticky legs <laughs> little, like baby legs furry little, 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 little furs <laughs> little stickies he says uh the little legs had the solid ground under them to his pleasure they did exactly as he told them they were even making the effort to carry him where he wanted to go and he was soon believing that all his sorrows would soon be finally at an end so he just yeah, defined right. legs. That's what the definition of legs are, is they work and they take you where you want to go. Like, he's not yeah, like... It's, it's just, like, it's better for him when he is actually upon them and they have purpose. Without purpose, these legs are just kind of aimlessly flailing into the ether. Yeah. He, he needs to be... Uh, he needs to be upright and ready to go. That's and all legs, re- though. These aren't different. I don't understand why no, he thinks they're no, different. No, Bjorn, when you're laying in bed, uh-huh. you don't like flail your legs around carelessly just because you're not using Have them you never body. seen any 80s movies or music videos? That's all they're doing is they're like flailing them in the air like with those big long socks. Those, is that uh, what you those do? Leg warmers. I want to dance yeah. with somebody. Yeah. Come on. Dance with somebody. Yeah. Come on. Dance with somebody. With somebody. Yeah. I want to bug with somebody. somebody. Hey, I want to lay eggs with somebody. <laughs> I want to lay eggs with somebody who bugs me. <laughs> so, wow. Greg, how have we not, quickly, on that note, how have we not brought up Destiny's Child's Bugaboo? Because oh. I have no clue what song yeah, you're talking a, about. Because I'm not, I'm not familiar with. Can we Bugaboo? play it in this no, little I'm, clip right I'm here? Not, yeah, I'll play I it right now. Here we go. Can you just give us one clip of Bugaboo. Bugaboo. Okay, here it comes. Bugaboo, a Bugaboo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is that really right, a song? Go in this little spot. Yeah, it's good. Okay, oh, so yeah, this okay. is where Bugaboo is playing. So we're listening to Bugaboo. All right, now how does it go? Whoa, we just came out of Bugaboo by Beyonce <laughs> Company. That's a top 40 hit. Um, I No, I'm not familiar with Destiny's Child's canon of work. The only song I know is um, All the Women Who's Independent. Throw your hands You'd up. recognize it if you heard it. Uh, and we just did. Wow, crazy. So yeah. <laughs> Gregor basically has a new lease on life because simply because his legs are doing their job so but you know he's he's holding back the urge to move instead Mm. he just kind of rocks back and forth from side to side but mom's still freaking out and she backs up into the breakfast table and knocks a bunch of shit over like the whole breakfast including a pot of coffee but when he sees the pot of coffee going and like the coffee like flying out he just instinctively and hilariously snaps his jaws at the flow of coffee flying through the air because i guess he loves coffee that's what, yeah, that's can't what you can't blame him. It's like, oh shit, don't want it to go to waste. It's gonna fall on the floor. Then none of us are gonna get to have it. Um, but the sight of his jaws flapping in the air 
really freaks mom out even more. It's just like a progression of mom just freaking out to different levels, one by one, increasingly more so. Definitely a Benny Hill again slapstick, like everything going wrong in this domino effect of travesty. Yeah, Uh, yeah. There's horns in the soundtrack. It's really funny. Yeah, they're, they're like hot bug, like bug women running around, like in bug bikinis and stuff, like mm-hmm. Benny Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. bug bikinis, dude. Bug kinis, oh, I love dude. me that's a good tight. bug bikini. And the film's all sped up. Yeah, um, I love that part. And so that's when Dad decides to step in. He's been pretty calm throughout this whole thing somehow. And so he enters the scene with uh, the stick that the the chief clerk left behind and a newspaper in the other oh. hand. And so he's kind of like. What, you know, what's that in. gonna do? He's well. He's trying to shoo his bug son back into his room. Oh, and all the while, and he, like he doesn't really mind the stick in the newspaper, but his dad's also hissing at him, which really, really annoys him. Sure. And so, Gregor's okay. So now he's got like, he's facing them. So now he's got to turn himself back around to go into his room, and, and so he doesn't really know how to do that. He's like. He's just acclimating to bug life. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's like, and he's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go back. Let me slow down a little bit. Like, I'm more than happy to go back. This is, is Gregor's vibe. Um, but his father's pushing him in so fast, and he, and he's like, and Gregor's like, well, I'm not going to fit. I got to get back into my. He's got to do his weird maneuver where he goes upright and like sidles back in and then falls back into his bedroom. It's a very complicated process for him to get out and into the room because of his bug body. Mm. But he's kind of like shooing him so fast and like hissing at him and he hates the hissing. And so he gets stuck in the doorway so that, quote, one, one side, side of his body, body lifted itself. Down. He lay at an angle in the doorway. One flank scraped on the white door and was painfully injured, leaving vile brown flecks on it. Uh, soon he was stuck fast and would not have been able to move at all by himself. The little legs along one side hung quivering in the air, while those on the other side were pressed painfully against the ground. Then his father gave him a hefty shove from behind, which released him from where he was held and sent him flying and heavily bleeding deep into his room. The door was slammed shut with a stick, and then finally, all was quiet. So now Gregor, he's, he's, he's all fucked up. He's in his room. He's all alone. Um, it's uh, He has, still has not really come to grips yet with... Be having a bug's life now. <laughs> Somewhere deep inside of him, he still thinks he can catch that eight a.m. train to work and kind of smooth things over. But it's not looking good, is it, Al? No, it's definitely not looking good. Uh, it's. I mean, he's injured. He's bleeding. He's still probably pouring this brown pus from his mouth from having to open the door. The chief clerk is certainly on his way to the office to be like, boss, boss, we got a fucking bug. So, like, you know, things aren't looking up for him right now. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, even though we're leaving Gregor alone in his room to his bugdom, We'll have to pick up the rest of this conversation next episode. Oh, oh man. I know. I was watching what the shot clock. Kafka-esque ending, gentlemen. Is it, <laughs> oh, though? I don't oh think so. Oh, my God. I love the Seinfeld no, bug story. that's not it. That's not Kafka. That's, yeah. <laughs> it feels Kafka-esque to me because uh, I'm sad and it's circular. But uh, okay. I got to tell you, I love the bug's life. I love the George Costanza, the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn bug. We'll see how the Brooklyn bug is doing. <laughs> I'm going to have Kafka-esque nightmares about using the term Kafka-esque incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. me too. That's, that's the end of part one of not only our episode, but part one of the Kafka tale metamorphosis. There are two more parts to metamorphosis, which we'll visit on part two 
of uh, of our Metamorphosis podcast that we want to sound smart at parties. We're going to get into a bug's life. We're going to find out, does he get out of that apartment? Does he get to work? Why is his boss such a dick? What's his sister think? Why is his mom and dad tripping? Will he convert back to being a human? Well, yeah, that's the most important question. Yeah. Will he convert back to being a human? Will he convert out of Judaism? We don't know. We'll find out <laughs> next episode on We Want to Sound Smart at Parties, where we visit Kafka's Metamorphosis. Taylor Brown, Alex Moore, thank you so much. Again, for your research, I'm going to thank you a little bit less because this book was super short, but I get it. You know, 46 pages is tough nowadays, <laughs> hey, it guys. was dense, dude. It, it was, was dense. fucking dense. Nope, it's super yeah. dense. And so visit us for part two of Metamorphosis next week on, or not next week, but next episode on We Want to Sound Smart We Want to Sound Smart at party. party. We Want to Sound Smart at Party. Outro music. There's just no time to revisit the relics of yesterday.